You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. The Turning Cartwheels podcast is brought to you by Vorpal Arrow Studios and is made possible by listeners like you. Here's your host, Jesse Kiefer. Welcome back to the Turning Cartwheels podcast. Hey, I've now done episodes in both the year 2019 and in the year 2020. Hey, I'm I'm on a roll. Hey, let's keep the streak alive. Uh, so yeah, that's a weird flex, right? Right off the top. And again, I'm going to start a podcast by breaking one of the rules of podcasting. And that is, you know, that podcasting content is evergreen. And yet here I am. I'm pulling my real-world publishing schedule into things, which is silly because as you digest podcasts in your feed, it doesn't matter how much time passes in between unless I really call attention to that, which I which I clearly have just done. And so why would I do that? And calling back to the last episode, there's a very clear reason why I would do that. It's, it's honesty and transparency. That's what I said I wanted to do with this show. I want to be real about some things because I, it's interesting and I'm going to get into it here in a minute, but perception and reality, there's a huge gap, even more so online. So many people that are trying to keep up with the Joneses on social media and the idea that that creates a disconnect that creates some actual, not just tension, but like misery in some people's lives because they don't feel like they're living up to some bizarre standard that no one's actually setting. It's just here's a picture of my awesome vacation. And now I feel like I need to go to Florida for some reason, just because, well, I've never been to Florida. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, that's just not how things work. Anyways. So the reason that it always takes me so long to get these podcasts out here and why I constantly bring it up on this show is that solo podcasting is very hard for me. For some reason, I get really hung up on this idea of quality, I guess. And so rather than give you stuff that I that I would um, feel is kind of subpar or, or not quite there. Instead, I'll just give you nothing for long periods of time. And that's that's equally frustrating for me. So, yeah, I, I guess that the, the point is here that I don't get you more stuff because of the format, because of this, this solo format, and because I'm very, uh, and this will be surprising for some of you, I'm very anxious and self-judgmental about the content that I create because I want it to be, <laughs> I want it to be really good. Um, and so I have this, I, I make the mistake of aiming at this perfection, which I know, and you know, and everybody knows perfection is, is not a real thing. It's, it's unattainable. And so what will happen is I'll sit down and I'll record an episode and then I'll make a mistake and I'll go, Oh, I can either edit that later or I can do another take. And so what often happens is that I will be so frustrated with that first take, I'll just do another take. And then the second take, it's maybe a little better, but it's not perfect. So I'll do a third take and a fourth take and a fifth take. I, I mean, like I may do a dozen takes for one silly little flub. And then by the time I've done a dozen takes, if, if one of them is not perfect, or maybe I've just worn myself out doing a dozen takes over one silly little phrase. If I do that too long, eventually I will need a break. I'll get exhausted. I won't be feeling it anymore. I'll be in a bad mood now because I'm, I don't think I've 
good at this anymore. So I will quote unquote take a break, but then I uh, I never actually return from that break and I never finish the episode. And so that just adds to the list of lo- quote unquote lost episodes, which you'll never hear because I never did finish them. I maybe started, uh, you know, half a dozen episodes that just will never see the light of day. And it's not because they were even bad just because they didn't live up to some bizarre standard that I set for myself that's unattainable, which is perfection. I'm trying to work through that, through this pod, through the, that's the ironic thing about this, uh, is that I'm trying to work through that bizarre self-standard by doing this podcast, yet in a format that clearly makes me crazy because of how little I get an episode out. If this episode sees the light of day, then you know this was progress and this was hopefully helpful, hopefully helpful for me. And and even more so, I hope by articulating this, you feel less crazy because I'm sure that I'm not the only one that feels this way. But some of you are going to go, whoa, Kiefer's got a lot more uh, anxiety than I ever would have guessed. And so, yeah, that's, that's interesting because I am. I am a nervous dude, which probably surprises a lot of people because whenever I'm in one of those staff meetings, you you know the staff. I mean, like if you're in any kind of corporate or educational or whatever setting, or even if you've gone to school, you've probably had to do one of these weird icebreaker activities where, I mean, hopefully you're doing this in a room full of people that actually know each other because otherwise it's pointless. But um, the idea is, you know, you've got like a card that you pass around and it's got your name on it. And then people can anonymously put down what they admire about you. And inevitably, what winds up on my uh, on my card, if it isn't like the standard, um, you're very creative because you're an artist, because you're an art teacher. So I get I get talented and creative a lot, especially for like round one. But then as as the game goes on and people kind of loosen up and, the, and they start to like get an idea of what they want to write for people. Uh, what inevitably shows up on my card or my list or my piece of paper or whatever it is, is that I am very easygoing or very patient. And it's funny because that's both true and very untrue, mainly as it relates to me. I can be very forgiving for um, other people and I can recognize that, yeah, yeah, your your picture that you just drew, it may not be perfect, but look at what the well, look at what you did. Look at look at the progress you made. I mean, that's my job. And sometimes kids will get frustrated with me because they have the same kind of self critique that I have in that they want it to be perfect, and it's not that ideal. It's not that Platonic, that Plato ideal of this is the perfect thing. This is what I had in my head and it came out exactly how I wanted. Right. So I, I understand that and I empathize with that very, very uh, readily. And so students will get mad at me because they'll be like, you have to tell me that it's good because you're, you're, you're a teacher that you're, you're supposed to say nice things. And I'm no, <laughs> no, but I can also recognize where you've made progress. Like if I felt like you didn't even try on this, I'd tell you to start over. <laughs> Let's just be real. I mean, come on, I can see that you have tried on this and the fact that you care so much about whether or not this looks right uh, indicates to me the effort level that you're putting in. I will have that kind of um, patience and empathy for others and not so much for myself because when it comes to putting out a podcast or putting out a creative endeavor, I am very likely to get upset, get frustrated and either quit or just start over. A lot of times you won't know that I quit because I didn't really announce that I was starting. (laughs) So there's an awful lot of unfinished, uh, unfinished business in my office, which is probably one of the biggest frustrations of my wife in that you can see my unfinished business all over the desk, all over the floor, all over the shelves. Uh, they're stacked. I'm stacked with unfinished business because I also don't like to end things. I don't like to just give up, but I do like to take quote unquote breaks. (laughs) 
<laughs> that's that's a little too that's a little too real right there. But anyways, so kind of burying burying the lead and kind of belaboring the point a little bit, uh, just getting started off on this new episode for a new year. What I wanted to talk to you about today is that I guess I, I want to come back to this idea of serial enthusiasm. And it's something that you've probably if you've been listening to the show, probably heard me throw around that term. In fact, for a little while there, I uh, I actually owned the the URL or the domain name for serialenthusiast.com. Man, I, I really think there's an opportunity out there for somebody that wants to do something with that. So, I mean, I've abandoned that URL. If you want to go out there and get that URL right now, uh, I would consider it a uh, compliment that you agree with my idea that that could be a great name for something. For a minute there, I was going to do a, a pivot on this podcast and make it the podcast about serial enthusiasm, because at least in my brain, in the way that I was going to brand this thing, is uh, it's basically another word for fads or crazes, because I am prone to fads or crazes, but I don't like to think of them as fads, you know? But the problem is, is that fads, they are exactly that. They're like, an, there's a short burst of enthusiasm. And because I don't like to just like spout my own ideas on this all the time, I'm going to throw out a little quote here from an article that I just read on easystreetmag.com. And it's about the psychology of fads and crazes. And so I'm, I'm just going to read this little blurb. So it's not just my opinions thrown out there. I'm going to throw some other opinions at you, opinions from other people. Fads or crazes represent specific products or patterns of collective behavior that tend to rise rapidly in popularity for a finite and usually relatively short period of time. They can develop an enthusiastic, sometimes cult-like following and include a broad spectrum of marvels such as diets, toys, clothing, makeup, hairstyles, food, music, sports, and daredevil activities. So it's like, I mean, we, we could cite a dozen examples or more. You know, like when I was towards the end of my high school career, towards the beginning of my college age life, bungee jumping just exploded in popular culture. Everybody knew about bungee jumping and there were like all these places where you could do bungee jumping and they would even set up bungee jumping platforms in popular theme parks. That was a thing that everybody was doing for a, for a short period of time. Um, when I was, when it was the nineties and I was in high school, uh, there was a lot of people that were doing the grunge era. So like the music and the clothes and um, even just kind of the attitude and vibe, that was a thing that was prevalent for a short period of time. And I think that kind of all went away before I was even out of high school. Like we were already on to post grunge and whatever was next. Industrial music became the big thing. And, and then for a hot minute, there was dubstep and then synthwave came back. Uh, it was prevalent in the eighties and it's, it came back here in the 2010s or whatever they're calling that decade. I am prone to these short bursts of enthusiasm for a thing, but I don't like to think of them as fads because not only are they serial enthusiasm, they're seasonal enthusiasm in that I will kind of come back to them. Hey, this is Jerry. You, uh, you ever want to make your own podcast? Don't know where to start. Don't know how to get any anywhere on it. Totally lost in the dark. Like you want to make a podcast with this epic craziness with dragons and fireballs and Daenerys and, oh wait, that's Game of Thrones. Never mind. So you want to have an epic, crazy podcast? Check out podedit.com. Randall Sylvie will help you out. Number one guy out there who can help you edit a podcast, get you started. Good rates. Podedit.com. 
Check it out. He gets Jerry's seal of approval. Okay, so let's dig into that a little bit. Let's dig into this idea that um, serial enthusiasm or fads could be seasonal or cyclical, which means that they don't just disappear. Uh, I think that's the main thing about like fads or crazes is that uh, they spike and then they disappear or they, they go away for a while, like definitively. So a good example of that would be let's let's take like the british invasion let's let's talk about like uh the beatles how they and i'm not saying they were a fad because they've stood the test of time but let's talk about how they were the craze when they were the craze when they were at the top of the top and then you know it's not that they stopped making music but they started to become a little bit more mainstream as opposed to when they were super hot and then you know now Paul McCartney's still out there making music and he's much beloved for his work with the Beatles and he's much beloved for his work with Wings but it's it's different it's different now than when it was at its hottest and 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 that's not to say that uh, the Beatles are gone or that they don't have resurgence because it seems like oh I don't know you know, every couple of years, some big project comes up that um, reinvigorates kind of the 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 global attention, we'll say, of something like the Beatles. But it's never really going to hit that same extreme height that it did when they were really, really on top of the game. OK, uh, I don't know if that's a great example or not, but it's the example that I kind of have in my headspace at this moment. So anyways, what I'm talking about is is not that. That kind of thing. It's, it's more of a personal level thing where it's like things that I get pumped about for a while, but then they also come back into my attention and into my motivation and in that whole thing. And so they kind of occupy different levels in my brain in that, um, some of these things that just keep returning, it's like they'll come back in the form of a cameo or like a, or they'll get a full blown sequel or they'll kind of be in the background at all times almost like a white noise or like a, I don't know, almost like an autopilot treatment. Like I'm still doing them, but I'm not like thinking about it all that much. Right. So I guess time to get into some examples. Uh, the best examples of this in my life have been things like professional wrestling. So when I was a kid, I was really into Hulkamania and, you know, kind of that early eighties boom of professional wrestling where we had People like Macho Man Randy Savage and you had Hacksaw Jim Duggan uh, being at at his peak, you know, that is when I was first introduced to it. So I was really excited about it. And then it went away for a little while, but it's not like it ever disappeared entirely. Um, it it kind of comes back when there is something that I am interested in and when I want to latch back onto it. And usually that has something to do with the stories that are being told at the time or the wrestling personalities that I'm really keyed into. So for me, Sting has been a big one. Like he had a, a rise in popularity in the 90s when he donned the Crow persona. When he came back uh, and uh, did his first ever WrestleMania, that was a thing that brought me back into prime WWE wrestling viewership. I was back. And with that, I latched on to new wrestling personalities and new stories and new things that I cared about. Most recently, I was really, I really dug what Matt Hardy was doing over in Impact Wrestling with his broken uh, Matt Hardy gimmick. And then when he showed up at WrestleMania and returned to WWE, I was super excited about the idea 
and the potential of his broken character being put in front of the mainstream audience and what would and would not happen with that. And we've seen it kind of hit its peak and then disappear as far as that goes. And I'm still very interested in what Matt Hardy's up to and what he's going to be doing. And I, I don't think he's done yet by any stretch of the imagination. But right now he's not getting a push where he's at. So he's kind, he's kind of off doing his own thing. And I'm still I'm paying attention to that. But in the space of WWE, I'm really loving what Bray Wyatt is, has done and what how he's recreated himself. And I think it's being handled in an interesting way that's both good and bad. And it's I don't think it's over yet. And I and I hope it's not over yet because it's very interesting. And it's going to tie into some of the stuff that I'm going to talk about later on in his incorporation of like children's television host type of persona, as well as these these puppet characters that are like different facets of his personality and his career and then culminating in this bonkers, evil, almost clown persona called The Fiend, who seems almost monstrously unstoppable. So those are things that have brought me back to professional wrestling and kind of where I'm at in in regard to that. Another one would be creating comics, comic strips, comic books, basically sequential storytelling. There are times where I'm really, really, my attention is really driven in that direction. That is cyclical and that is something that's seasonal because of the effort and the inspiration and the motivation that you have to have in order to be dedicated to a project that requires that kind of energy and that kind of work ethic and that kind of commitment in order to see it through. Oftentimes when I'm creating a comic book or, or a webcomic or a book, there's a shelf life and I may, I may or may not even be aware of the duration. How long am I actually going to be able to continue this? kind of thing. There for a time I was pretty consistent about staying on a schedule and there was a time where I was able to put out like 3 web comics a week kind of thing. And I was pretty good at getting those out on time for a good long time. And that's because that's where my dedication, that's where my attention was, that's where a lot of my scheduled time could go. Currently, I am in between that kind of project. I would like to come back to it, but it's it's also not quite where my attention is at this moment. Poetry is another one. Poetry is something that I've I've seen my attention cyclically change. Sometimes my involvement is that I'm writing poetry for myself. Sometimes I'm enthusiastically consuming somebody else's work and following a, a certain poet or watching poetry slams or that kind of thing. At the height, volunteering and helping to keep poetry slams in the area. Like for a while there, we were helping to put on a poetry slam. You know, I mean, it's not like we organized it or anything, but we were, I don't know, we were volunteering. We were volunteering our time very actively. We were giving up portions of our day to make sure that we could be available for whatever needed to happen, right? That's another thing. So like currently poetry, you know, I consume some things, but I'm also not like actively going to poetry slams as often as, as I was for a while there. I was pretty active at going to them, even if it meant considerable amount of travel, maybe even on a weeknight. And just lately I have not. And it's not that those things aren't out there. They're happening. I'd like to get back to some of those, but currently that's not where my attention is. And so finally, kind of burying the lead. And the one that I want to kind of focus on today, and I'm not going to talk about this for too long because I don't know how long this episode is going. 
but uh, I also don't want it to go super duper long. But I want to talk about puppets and puppetry. And so I kind of hinted at that with the Bray Wyatt talk a little bit in that my attention is returned to puppets. And that's kind of funny because uh, over at the Grolix podcast, I'm known as the puppet enthusiast on the show. And we even have a Patreon level for the Grolix podcast, which, by the way, you should go check out that Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Grolix podcast. One of the levels is the puppet enthusiast level. And we have a couple of Patreon backers. Thank you very much to them who they buy in at that puppet enthusiast level and that gives them kind of some say over the content that we produce over there at Garlic's Podcast. Anyways, oh, the reason that I bring that up at all is that, you know, with a nickname or, or a title of the puppet enthusiast, you, well, you'd think, okay, well, he must be pretty consistently a fan of puppetry. And I am. But again, even with that, my attention level does adjust and change. And so it's I've used that metaphor of a mixer, of a, of a soundboard, right? Where you can turn up one level, that's going to adjust the rest of the levels. You know, like if one goes up, the next one goes down. Or even if it doesn't work that way, what happens is if you turn, let's say you turn up the bass, if you have an abundance of bass, then you're just going to hear a little bit less of the treble maybe. You know, like it, it's not that the treble isn't there, but your attention, you're not going to catch it as much. Or you turn down the bass and now, oh, the treble is super prevalent. I'm trying to keep this metaphor pretty basic because I could get lost in the weeds of this metaphor because metaphors are never perfect. And that's the idea is, yeah, I am a puppet enthusiast all the time. I always love puppets, but there are times where I'm going to seek out puppet stuff. Maybe uh, there's a new Muppet movie or a new Muppet show that I'm excited about. Uh, recently, they did the Netflix series, which was a prequel series to The Dark Crystal. So The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. That series is really fun. Currently, one of the big shows is uh, The Mandalorian, which has uh, Baby Yoda, or they call it the child. And so there's some practical puppetry effects and things that are they're seeing a resurgence. The Last Jedi, one of the most recent Star Wars movies, saw the return of actual Yoda. And it was clear that he was not just CGI. He was there were some practical puppetry effects in his return. And so we're seeing, first of all, a return to some attention from just people. People in general are taking notice of puppets and practical effects again. And also within my friend group, uh, I'm seeing a lot more interest. And I think that makes a big difference, like, you know, whether or not I'm going to do a thing is if my friends are interested in it and accepting of it. So we'll come back to that. And I want to talk about some of the people in my life that are currently getting me excited about puppets again. But I, but I want to go back. I want to go back to where, where is all of this come from? Cause I kind of talked about that with the wrestling just a moment ago. And so puppets, where does this all start with, with Jesse? <laughs> well, it's not like we had a ton of puppets in the house, but we did have like, we did have a couple of puppet toys and they were beloved in our house. I, I, specifically remember like a raccoon puppet that we had i don't know whatever even happened to that raccoon puppet but like we used it for everything i think i, I remember it getting pretty heavy use in our household it's not like we even did like puppet shows with him just like we'd We'd use him. We'd play with him quite a bit. And uh, the Muppets were a big deal, obviously. And then there was the Muppet Babies cartoon, which is interesting because it's not even a puppet show. It's a um, it's like a spinoff property or adaptation of what was a puppet show. So obviously I'm a big fan of uh, Jim Henson and anything Muppet related because I've already I've already talked about, you know, the Muppets and I've talked about Dark Crystal. I mean, like you can't really be a fan of puppets and not like Jim Henson. He's like the Stan Lee of puppetry, right? I mean, he's the he's the Jim Henson of puppetry. 
<laughs> I mean, he kind of reinvented how we think about puppets, right? Uh, whether you like that or not, if you're a purist uh, who is really into like marionette style puppetry or, or, or something else, that's fine. But you, you can't discount his impact. Interestingly enough, looking at this article about fads that I was referencing earlier, there is a Jim Henson quote in here, and they're about fads. He's quoted as saying, nobody creates a fad. It just happens. People love going along with the idea of a beautiful pig. It's like a conspiracy. Even Jim Henson kind of had opinions about how things catch on or don't catch on. You can't just design something and expect it to go viral kind of thing. You can try to have your viral... Uh, YouTube moment or whatever, but you don't get to decide that. It happens. It's kind of outside of yourself a little bit. It just happens. Anyways, I was just staring at this Jim Henson quote and I thought, oh, this is a good opportunity to bring it out. Anyways, the Muppets were a big deal growing up. And then um, I didn't really think about puppets for a long time. And then my friend Ben and I, and I've talked about Ben on the show. He's one of my oldest friends. We got back into puppets in kind of a strange, unusual way. We We, we would do this is kind of like a how did I get into podcasting story, too. We used to do these like crazy radio shows for ourselves. It was like early podcasting in that we would we would create a fictional cast of characters or radio personalities and uh, we would record. Sometimes they were just rambling diatribes, but sometimes they almost had like a story arc to them and they were basically just interacting with each other. Um, so we had these voices and then we would also be involved with a church youth group. We'd go to that and we, I went on a few like mission trips and stuff. But the reason that that's important is that um, one day we went downstairs in the church and uh, we got access to something we didn't know existed. And that was the puppet ministry cabinet. There was a cabinet full of puppets that uh, didn't just, that just didn't get a lot of use. We didn't even know they existed down there. And so there's this whole, like for us, treasure trove of characters that we could do something with. So we took those out and we, we uh, brought them to the like youth community room or whatever it was. Uh, it was like a nice little game room or whatever. And we, uh, we set up an impromptu puppet show right there on the spot and even got some video of it. And we had a blast. Now these puppet ministry puppets had basically been retired. Like no one was even using them. And uh, so that was my first, it was my first exposure or return cyclical return to puppets. And then from then on, I was kind of bit by the bug of how I could use a puppet to put on a performance. And that would help uh, kind of take me out of the nervousness of performance because I've always had a love-hate relationship with performance. Um, when I'm ready to do a performance, I can I can kind of be a ham, I can, if you hadn't noticed. Uh, I can kind of really get into a performance, but I also have an awful lot of nervousness and anxiety and stage fright that surrounds performance. So a puppet being able to like externalize my performance is huge. It's, it's huge. It takes a lot of my nerves away because that's not me anymore, which, which I assume is the same point to just acting in general. But for whatever reason, if I can direct my performance to just like an extension of myself, which is what a puppet is, you know, it's, it's basically a thing that you put on your hand, but the idea that I can turn something that's, that's inanimate and external into something that gives you a living performance was pretty intoxicating. It was pretty, uh, fun and, 
and kind of addicting. And again, so my attention and my enthusiasm for it will wax and wane over the time. Uh, most of the puppet work that I've done has been, again, with my friend Ben. Uh, every once in a while, we'll do something collaborative. And oftentimes, that's going to, when we collaborate, it oftentimes includes the puppets in some way, shape, or form. So now, fast forward to today, because uh, Ben lives way out in in Iowa, which is really, it's not that far away, but it's far enough away that it's quite a drive. So we don't get an opportunity to really inhabit the same space a whole lot. Maybe maybe once a year if we're lucky. More than once a year if we're really, really lucky. And so we don't get to do a lot of puppetry like within the same room. But, you know, the internet being what it is, we've been able to do some collaborative videos where I'm able to shoot something in front of a green screen or I'm able to shoot some footage and and just um, incorporate it in some way. I mean, we get pretty creative about that. So uh, there was a time where we were doing a web series that incorporated a lot of the puppet work. And then uh, we get busy and neither of us can do it. And so the puppets sit on the shelf for a while. And uh, now a lot of my friends that are a little more local are kind of getting into it. My friend uh, Eddie Fossler and I, we just launched a Facebook page because he bought a puppet and then he found one that really worked for me. And so they're both from the same like line of puppets. And we've been putting on just impromptu puppet shows. We created these new characters and been having a lot of fun with that. And so you can find that on Facebook. Um, if you're on Facebook, that's really the only place we are right now. We call it the Zeke and Barty Puppet Party. And it's uh, the characters are Ezekiel Troll, which is Eddie's puppet. And my puppet is Bartholomew Bat. God, they're just a lot of fun. And I've really been enjoying that because it's been a good opportunity to practice not only creating a new character, but also just puppetry in general, because it's it's one of those things where the more you do it, the better you're going to get, I think. And so it's been a fun way to practice it. It's just cool to have people around me that are excited to do it. Another one that I want to kind of shout out right now is that Carl Smith, Carl D. Smith, he's a local author. He's a local podcaster. I'm a big fan of his podcast, The Goat Kicker. He's also been starting up something that's going to turn into a YouTube series, and it's the PWPA. It's a Sock Puppet Wrestling Alliance, and it's it's super fun. You can find his stuff on Facebook as well. If you look for PWPA Action on Facebook, there's a Facebook page, and then you can also find him on Twitter as well. And uh, I, yeah, look at that, because what that's done for me is it's really invigorated me in that um, Carl is... He's been documenting. He's been putting out kind of his process and his journey into puppetry. It's going to be basically puppets cutting promos on each other. Uh, I mean, I think there's more there's more to it than that. And he's really done kind of a cool mockumentary approach to um, like getting started, like the road to action. And it, it's been a lot of a lot of fun to watch that unfold. But also just on his personal um, social media, he's been showing his builds. So he's been showing how he's going from a roll of felt or fleece to functional puppet. You're like, we're getting to see the steps in real time. And that's really cool. And it's kind of uh, inspired me to dust off some old puppet projects that I either had just put away for a while or that I had incomplete. Right. And so like I, I have a uh, gelatinous cube puppet that I had big plans for at one point where I thought I'm going to do a puppet show. That's going to do a lot of D and D stuff because D and D is another one of those one of those things that's like a cyclical fad for me or a seasonal serial enthusiasm. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to do something with this gelatinous cube puppet. But I made this puppet with styrofoam eyes and he fell off of my shelf and he got a big dent in one of his eyeballs. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to use that because 
I'll like maybe nobody will even see that dent, but it'll bother me enough that I just won't use him. And so uh, seeing Carl get really active in building puppets kind of helped inspire me to go back to Tony, first of all, and uh, and fix those eyeballs, which had been bothering me for a long time. He's just been sitting on the shelf with a dented eyeball for an awful long time. And then I also have been kind of just playing around with with some builds, with some puppet builds. I'm starting with like a, a sock puppet that may or may not show up on, on Carl's show. I, I think that's the at least the initial plan is to hopefully create something that I could uh, help help create content for for the PWPA action. Obviously that that's uh I have to finish it first. <laughs> like that's not going to happen until I actually finish the puppet. But I'm well underway and I'm 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 learning some new things and trying some new things and building building puppets again, which I hadn't done in a really long time. So that's interesting and fun. I'm I'm excited about it and I hope that um to get a little further along cuz I have a lot of resources and I've done a lot of research and a lot of times I will get into the weeds with the research and the looking and the planning and then the doing like I'll scratch the itch with all the research and the back planning, you know, the, all the behind the scenes stuff. And then it's like, well, uh, you, you don't know that I didn't finish it because I never really started it or you never saw that I started it. So I think I think uh, seeing Carl document his process has been good in a lot of ways in that it's it's social proof of the things that he's doing. And it's also kind of inspired me to maybe do some of that as well. So, yeah, that's been fun. And so I hope to I hope that I'm going to continue to do some puppet themed things. And I don't know how long, I I don't know how long my motivation will be at the peak that it's at right now. Like I'm at peak enthusiasm for doing puppets right now. And maybe they'll shift. Maybe they'll shift. Uh, sometimes that has to do with the the schedule in the season. You know, like um, when we get closer to con time or free comic book day, uh, probably going to shift my focus back to making things that I can sell in terms of like flat artwork, that kind of thing. But you know what? I would not be surprised if you see a few sock puppets that you could maybe buy at uh, the Tank Zombie Studios table this summer, depending on <laughs> depending on how enthusiastic I am about this. I may have to, re- you know, recompensate myself in some of the costs of bringing back an old hobby. <laughs> so anyways, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about today was, first of all, my anxiety. <laughs> I wanted to get kind of transparent about that. I also wanted to talk about serial enthusiasm. And I really wanted to focus on puppets because that's what I'm kind of excited about. And I don't think that's the thing that I've really talked about here on this show all that much. I also wanted to uh, mention that uh, the Grolix podcast, we've recently done initial recording for the 100th episode. It's taken a little bit of time to get out because it's going to be kind of an audio drama format. You know, we wanted to do something special for the 100th episode since it's taken us so long to get there. And anytime that you're going to do a little bit more elaborate production like that, it's going to take extra time. And so we may have some pickup recordings to do and whatnot in order to get the production, you know, where it's never going to be perfect, right? Because that's one of the things we've been talking about today on the show is um, if we wait until it's perfect, it'll never get done. So that's one of the things I'm going to try and work on here in the near future is getting more episodes out that are probably not going to be perfect. But hey, they're going to get done. So that's something that's coming is Grolix episode 100. You can find out more about that again at GrolixPodcast.com. Um, another thing that I wanted to talk about was, you know, I mentioned Carl D. Smith. I would say go check out all of his projects. Uh, I mentioned the Goad Kicker podcast. You should look that up. You can find that on a lot of podcatchers like Spotify. That's one of the places that I listen to 
the Goat Kicker podcast. Also, look up PWPA Action on Facebook, the Facebook page. You know, check those things out. Carl has a Patreon as well. So, you know, if you if you find any of his projects, you're going to find the rest of those links. I'll also put some links in the show notes for some of these things. I was kind of talking about uh, solo podcasting and how hard that is. Uh, so I would I would encourage you to go check out some other podcasts. And one of them I'm actually going to be a guest on here in, in a future episode. And that is the Covert Nerd Podcast with Lee Searcy. You should check that out. Uh, we recently recorded an episode about Cobra Kai and the Karate Kid franchise. And I had a lot of fun talking with Lee and his daughter, Ruth, about those things, you know, like I've mentioned it, I think on the Grolix podcast, but, uh, I think that, uh, Cobra Kai was probably my favorite thing about 2019, or it's one of my favorite media things that I consumed in the year 2019. Maybe not, maybe not my all time favorite. I don't know. I, I would have to really take a hard look at 2019, but it's up there. It's in the, it's in the top three for sure. You know, and, and there was some good stuff that came out in 2019, but Cobra Kai, Cobra Kai season two was huge for me. All right. What else can I tell you? I mentioned, uh, I mentioned Eddie Fossler, my partner in crime on the Zeke and Barty puppet party, which you can find on Facebook as well. But I, I also want to shout out some of his projects. Um, you know, he's involved in so many different podcast projects. Go check out the last Starfighters entertainment group on Facebook. Eddie is kind of the linchpin behind the formation of that. And he's done so many creative projects, both within the last Starfighter entertainment group and outside of it as well. One of his flagship podcasts that I would recommend and, and one that I listen to religiously is the daydream instruction manual. I would, I would check that out. You can find that on Podbean. You can find that uh, I mean, again, same thing. You can find it in all sorts of places. I'm pretty sure you can find it on Spotify. Just do a search in your, your Apple podcast app or whatever podcast app you do. Daydream Instruction Manual. Highly recommend that one. I could spend an awful lot of time just talking about all of his podcasts, but I, then the next link that I would give you for Eddie Fossler is the Podcast Arcade. Check out the Podcast Arcade. He's involved in a lot of those podcasts, and even if he isn't directly involved in those podcasts, he's heavily involved in helping that community of podcasters get their shows out in front of other people. And uh, it, I, I would recommend checking out that group of podcasts for sure. All right. That's all I got for you guys this time. Thank you for listening. I hope that you continue to listen. If you like this stuff that I'm, that I'm talking about, you know, shoot me a line, hit me up on Twitter, hit me up on, uh, on the old Facebooks. Let me know, let me know. And, uh, anyways, I hope that you guys are off to a great new year. It's now uh, January of 2020 and Hopefully this is going to be a good year for us all. I, I had a lot of great things happen in 2019. I'm hoping just to keep momentum. I'm, I'm hoping to just keep doing cool things. And that means I'm going to be busy, but uh, at least it's a good busy. All right, guys, we'll talk to you soon. And I hope that you have a great day. Turning Cartwheels podcast is produced by Vorpal Arrow Studios and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. For this episode's show notes or to hear more, you can visit cartwheelspodcast.com or like our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash cartwheelspodcast. 